I, I can't focus unless the gun is on the table. Nothing is normal or natural or everything is game. I'm gonna start a collection of puddings and coupons that can be redeemed for freaking fire miles. We have to get out of this building. They made soup out of my research department. See, this is the, the scene of the movie where you help me out. This is the second time a George Clooney character lies about being a thief while winning the girl back by taking a chance with one last job. The first time was Danny Ocean in Ocean's Eleven in 2001. Hello and welcome to Wes versus Paul versus Paul versus Predator, the only podcast that I'm aware of about Wes Anderson, Paul Thomas Anderson, and Paul W.S. Anderson. My name is Eric Anderson. And my name, Jeremy Anderson. Hello and welcome to our podcast, Eric that was a beautiful introduction. Thanks. Wrote it myself. <laughs> oh. uh, yeah, if you're wondering uh, what I do with my free time, I write all of the trivia mm-hmm. for every movie on IMDb. Yeah, including including I'm, such things as, according to an interview with Wes Anderson for The Treatment with Elvis Mitchell, <laughs> the look of this movie was inspired by artwork by Donald Schaffin for the book by Raoul Dald. I remember exactly where I was when I wrote that. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. Oh, it really takes you back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My daughter's <laughs> wedding. <laughs> yeah. Jeremy, you know, uh, I guess it's 2021 now, right? As we're as we're recording, not as we're recording, but as you hear this. As you hear it, it'll be 20. This is a this is a brand new us. This is a 2021 version of us. Yeah, I have muscles now. Um, Jeremy, uh, rides a unicycle everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's very, uh, impractical in my opinion. Um, but Jeremy, you know, I, I, I have this idea, uh, you, you remember last year on the Patreon around this time, which is, uh, patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. Uh, do you remember we did that episode, uh, in January that was like, uh, uh, we went through all the films that were going to come out in 2020, <laughs> and we were, <laughs> yeah. the goal of the episode was to uh, determine whether uh, 2020 would be a good year in film. And, right? Uh, yeah. What What do you think? Do you do you think, think think 2020 was a good year for movies? No, I don't think 2020 was a good year for anything <laughs> in any media except for video games. For some reason, video games really thrived, but I feel like music and film and television. I mean. It just was a kind of a, a mess. And especially with film, it was an embarrassing kind of mess where like things yeah. couldn't decide if they wanted to come out or not. And when they finally would come out, they were awful. <laughs> like in the case <laughs> of like Mulan or Wonder Woman in 1984. So it, yeah, it was a tough year for film. Like even Tenet, which is a movie that I think we were all excited about, uh, that came out into, you know, not that great of a of a you know not that great of reviews and on top of that Christopher Nolan had to basically uh you know disregard people's lives trying to put it out in theaters so it yeah it was it was sort of a tough year for films especially if you're like you know a fan of people like Christopher Nolan I had to I had to not I had to stop being a fan of his this year <laughs> yeah um yeah and it's kind of i don't know it's been it's been uh we don't have to get too much into it but it's been like weird seeing like which directors are kind of like on what side of reopening movie theaters Mm -hmm. and um it's yeah it's a mess but i was looking at the list jeremy for some of the stuff coming out in 2021 Mm -hmm. fingers crossed i think we're gonna have some good stuff coming our way oh hell yeah hopefully some good stuff from this year like for example the french dispatch which is a wes anderson movie uh that was supposed to come out last year or this year and um you know wes anderson from all accounts i mean i don't know if this was his decision or not but the movie got postponed eric I don't think they're going to put it out until it can come out to theaters. So, I mean, to me, I'm like, yeah, that's how you do it. My buddy Wes Anderson, kind of a hero. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Um, I'm looking forward to that one. I'm looking forward to the PTA one. But we'll we'll talk all about that, Jeremy, on uh, the Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. Jeremy, we're talking uh, Wes Anderson again. 
Uh, if you're if you're listening along to every episode, you will have just watched Alien versus Predator, and now you're watching a film that could not be less similar in tone. Uh, <laughs> fantastic, <laughs> Mr. Fox from 2009. Uh, Jeremy, I'm assuming you've seen this movie, right? Yeah. Oh, of course I've seen it. Yeah, yeah I've, I saw it in theaters when it came out back in 2009. What uh, What did you think then? Were you Were you like um, Have you always been since you first watched Wes Anderson, kind of like uh, a fan of all of his work? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that um, you know, especially back in the aughts. Like, I think that he was somebody that I would have dropped everything to go buy a ticket and and sit through one of his movies back in back in the day um and uh yeah i you know like also i would say 2009 between 2006 and 2012 that's like the height of me loving film and writing about film and, and trying to make films and stuff so i was really into the stuff coming out around this era anyway um when i saw this film though you know this is a this is a huge departure for it would be for any director to like suddenly do like a claymation version of one of their films, you know. Uh, so I I think like everyone, I was a little perplexed by why this movie was being done the way it was, and uh, you know I think I left feeling like it was good, but definitely not great. Definitely not one of my favorites, and definitely I had that feeling of like I hope he doesn't keep doing this. <laughs> After I left the theaters, but what about you, Eric? Have you seen the movie before? I did. You know, it's it's weird. So I uh, we we talked on our Darjeeling Limited episode. Um, I don't know if I mentioned, but like my first time watching that movie, I think I was like a little underwhelmed. Um, whereas now rewatching that for this podcast, I loved it. It's you know, it's uh, it's up there. It's uh, it's close to Bottle Rocket for me, which is my favorite Wes Anderson. But um, so I was like a little bit sort of uh, I I was kind of starting to fall off of the Wes Anderson train a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like Darjeeling Limited was like just good enough where I was like, oh, it was a pretty good movie. But I don't know. Um, I I don't know if I'm gonna like stick with this guy, uh, this director, and see everything he does. And Fantastic Mr. Fox came out, and I was like, uh, I don't really like animation, and this is like way different than what I'm used to from him. So I'm just gonna kinda like not see it. And people kept telling me it was really good. Like I mm. just I don't know if this was like the consensus just in my like group of peers, uh, or if it was kind of like a universally loved movie right away, but everyone was telling me to see Fantastic Mr. Fox. And my expectations expectations were just so high mm-hmm. that I didn't like it. And I like felt like a Grinch about it. Right. Like I, I, I felt like almost like I wasn't getting something. And now rewatching it for this, after having not seen it, and having a new appreciation for Wes Anderson, um, I can kind of see it more clearly, and I I enjoy it. It's still it's definitely not my favorite, but I I admire the um, I admire how different it is, I guess, than what he had been doing up to this point. Yeah, I was kind of texting back and forth with some friends while I was watching it. Uh, the Double Feature Boys. I was kind of texting them and kind of being like, "Hey, where's everybody at with this Fox movie? Like, I, I'm watching it right now and I'm having these feelings about it, which I, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of save to, to. I mean, I'll, 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 I'll say this. I, I definitely have turned ba- around on this film in thinking that it's actually pretty great. But I think that I'm just kind of universally having that experience across the board with a lot of films I rewatch. Sometimes I'll rewatch something and it'll be like less good than I remember. And that was sort of the case of Magnolia when I rewatched that. But in, in most cases, especially with the Anderson stuff, I've been rewatching them going like, man, like I, for some reason me being a little older really helps these movies. Like, I don't know, sing in a way. Like I was, I, maybe maybe I was a little too young to appreciate some of the nuance to like what was actually going on in these movies. I think especially with Darjeeling Limited, you're absolutely right. That's now up to up towards the top of the list for me, and I thought I didn't like that movie. <laughs> 
Right. Yeah. yeah, and I if you listen to our Rushmore episode, I kind of had that, oh, you know. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, it, it's weird with um like characters in movies, I guess. Like uh like when there's a, a film with like a you know like a younger character like uh, uh I keep I always forget his name. Is it Max? Max. Uh from from uh uh Rushmore. Yeah, his name's Max Rushmore. Yeah, Max Rushmore. <laughs> uh yeah. Um where I just like I, I just don't identify with that character anymore. I don't like relate to them or whatever. But uh yeah, I don't know. Um I, I, I also didn't know that this was a rolled doll story. Ah, yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, when when I did when I was watching uh Fantastic Mr. Fox this time, I was like, This is I really like the the humor and, and I can appreciate the stop motion and stuff. Mm. Uh, a lot more than I did, but um, to me, the story, I was like, man, this story, it just seems like kind of a, just like a cookie cutter, like, I've seen this story so many times before. Totally. And yeah, like, and they've actually, they actually make, a, they make jokes about that, too, in the script. Yeah, where 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 they'll be like, like, I think Meryl Streep's character, the wife, like, literally confronts Fox by being like, are we seriously doing this story? Like, is this seriously like your journey? You know how this ends. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that was, that was one thing that I came away with this movie from watching this movie again, where I, I was like, uh, I don't know about that, that, that story. It just seems like it's just been done to death. But then when I read that it's a rolled doll story, I'm like, Oh, well, I guess it's has been around for forever. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, what do you say we dive into some of the IMDb trivia here, Jeremy? I say we do since it, I, and we do it hard. Uh, <laughs> since I went to the trouble of writing all of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> my daughter's wedding. Wedding, yeah. First and second weddings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, she was uh, a, a widow. She was widowed at one point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, rest in peace, Charles. Uh, <laughs> Wes Anderson chose to have the actors and actresses record their dialogue out of the studio and on location to increase the natural naturalness. Uh, this is a quote: "We went out in a forest, went in an attic, went in a stable. We went underground for some things. There was a great spontaneity in the recordings because of that." Yeah, I'll say this as somebody who watched all the. Uh, bonus features on my Criterion uh, version of this film. I there is a lot of featurettes. I'm, f- I'm sure you can find them on YouTube, Eric, if you want to watch them. But it's like mm. they, they've recorded them doing this outside. So it's like literally George Clooney rolling around on the grass and running alongside Wally Waladarski, like doing the dialogue. It's it's pretty fascinating, and it looks like a hell of a good time. <laughs> Is that um yeah that's got to be uh very interesting to to watch. I do like that cuz I I that is I guess it's something that I like never would have guessed as I was watching this movie cuz I just always picture every uh voiceover to be done in some like sterile booth in like West Hollywood or something. Mm-hmm. But uh after I read this I was like oh, yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. Um I guess I want to talk before we do more of this trivia. I kind of want to talk about this cast a little bit because mm. it's um, it's pretty crazy. George Clooney, Meryl Streep, Schwartzman, Bill Murray, Wallace Wolodarski. <laughs> yeah, Wally Wolodarski. Uh, yes, we got Willem Dafoe, Owen Wilson, uh, Wes Anderson does a voice. Mm-hmm. Um. Eric Chase Anderson does a voice, his brother. Okay. Yeah, he's Christofferson. And then Michael Gambon, uh, of course, Jarvis Cocker, the musician, Karen Duffy, Hugo Guinness, Helen McCroy, Adrian Brody <laughs> does one line in the movie. What do you think of Clooney, uh, Clooney as like a, a voice actor? I think he's great in this. I think this I think his performance in Fox is um like one of Wes Anderson's all-time kind of great performance achievements. I I think 
And I, I, if you were to ask me before this movie came out, do I think George Clooney fits in the Wes Anderson world of like how actors act and characters talk? I would have said, no way. He's too much of a naturalist. Like George Clooney's a very natural actor, but, but then he actually works really well. I, I think in this, in fact, I like him better in this than I like. Um, and I don't know why I'm comparing them, but Isle of Dogs is a movie I like more than this movie, but, uh, I think Cranston doesn't fit as well into Wes Anderson's world. Um, and I guess I'm comparing them just because they both seem like outsiders to Wes Anderson that he's using as the main character. But what did you think of Clooney? I like him. I yes, I think his vo- him as a voice actor definitely works in this and Isle of Dogs. I wonder if uh, if I can't really picture like George Clooney in a in a live action Wes Anderson film. Uh, although I guess I probably would have said the same thing about Bruce Willis, but we get him in uh, what's it called Moonrise, Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. The one thing that I one thought that I was having though was it's like kind of hard for me to just disconnect the image of George Clooney in my uh-huh. brain from his voice <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> too much, which I don't because he's not really doing a voice. You know what I mean? No. He's just kind of talking as George George Clooney. He's a fox with George Clooney's voice, and that goes for everybody in the film. In fact, I, I almost yeah, feel like right. Wes Anderson's mission here was to make people sound as quote unquote normal as possible. Like it's almost like everyone was instructed, hey, don't do don't do acting. Like don't do like crazy acting. Don't put any crazy flourishes. Like there are several uh, uh, lines of dialogue, specifically by Schwartzman, uh, where and Eric Chase Anderson, where they're so quietly saying something under their breath, I actually don't hear what they're saying. <laughs> like. They're just very... Um, the only person who's being crazy in this movie, to me, is Willem Dafoe. He's on a, he's in a different movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah. do, you, do you feel like everyone was sort of just, like, as normal as humanly possible? Like, everyone just kind of talks a little like, yeah, okay, yeah, interesting, yeah, yeah okay, yeah, let's go yes. over here. Now yeah, that yeah. you say that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which um i guess is like a testament to the the casting then because i yeah I, I didn't like have a problem with any of the the voice acting i thought it was all great yeah i do too um, I think it's good. so cgi was only used once uh in the film in one scene uh the flooding of the flint mine um yeah i think yeah 2009 this would be like right we're we're like super cgi'd out at this point right yeah, in fact, I like, remember I having conversations around this time about how uh, we should go back to uh, animatronics and, and yeah. practical effects. And I believe this is around the same time that The Dark Knight came out, which is a movie that sort of does go back to a lot of practical effects and doesn't use a lot of CGI. Yeah, The Dark Knight is in 2008 also. So, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> William Willem Dafoe's uh, films of 2009, we have uh, Wes Anderson's stop-motion, uh, family-friendly, fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh, yeah. I know and then the film Antichrist. <laughs> Antichrist, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where he gets his balls cut off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, have you seen Antichrist? I did. I saw it one time. I think it's one of those where I'm like... I don't know. I I don't know if I want to see it again or not. I feel like I'm going to watch it again at some wild. point, but it is, yeah, it's a rough ride for sure. Um, so let's see. Color scheme of the movie, primarily autumnal. We got your yellows, oranges, and browns. Uh, with virtually no green and blue. However, Christofferson's uh, blue-covered wardrobe was intentional as it emphasized the... Uh, visiting outsider uh how he is a visiting outsider um yeah i love the way this looks yeah me too um uh yeah i love this little bit here this this will tie back in with little uh stan and dave new wedding dates but apparently when ash jason schwartzman and mr fox george clooney are in the sewer talking ash is sitting still staring down the viewer this is what is commonly known as the kubrick stare a technique developed by stanley kubrick he would (laughs) often use it when a character had to be intimidating or unsettling (laughs) i like that 
I like that he used a Kubrick in this in this movie. Yeah, totally. Um, I also love that. Yes. Yeah, Mr. Fox's wardrobe, by no surprise, is based on Wes Anderson's own brown corduroy suits. <laughs> yeah, it is funny when you do like a Google image search of Wes Anderson and you look at this the pictures. You they just kind of like look like stills of a character in a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. Totally. Like, and Wes Anderson in the bonus features of the Blu-ray, you 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 watch him do. Um, he's doing like a like a for the art department. He's um, I don't know, modeling himself basically as like, here's how I want Fox to look. And and like you realize when you see Wes Anderson literally being like, this is how I want it to look. And he goes, I want him to stretch like this, and then come up, and then put a little piece of uh, wheat in his mouth. And you realize, oh, yeah, Mr. Fox is just Wes Anderson. It's just his body. Like, how skinny he is. It's not modeled after George Clooney's physique. It's modeled after Wes Anderson's tall, Hmm. lanky, skeletal physique and his clothes (laughs) and sort of how Wes Anderson behaves in a way. Um, and I also love that Wes Anderson's in this movie because he, he he's kind of in every one of his movies in the way he makes people say his dialogue. He's like, he's kind of like his own, you know, like uh, his own biggest fan in a way. Like Wes Anderson really loves his own words, his own dialogue, the way he sounds, and and he and you see him really go crazy in that scene where he's showing Fox the house, where he's like. Yeah, once you come over here into this opposite, the way he's like talking so fast and it's so snappy, and he's like, I don't know, you can hear you can hear him really having fun with that role. I don't know if you felt the same, but yeah, but I didn't realize that that was him when I right. watched it. So now right. I kind of want to go back and, and and watch that scene. But um, yeah, like there's a, there's a, there's a part where uh, he goes, "What do you do for work, Mister Fox?" <laughs> like all, like almost like he's a 1930s reporter. And uh, George Clooney's like, I used to hunt chickens. Now I write for the Gazette. And then you hear Wes Anderson go, oh, yeah, I've read some of your bylines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like just like uh, almost like lackadaisically or lazily sort of like, uh, I don't know, uh, establishing higher status than George Clooney. He's like, oh, yeah, I've read some of your bylines. Yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, like interesting. <laughs> it's like, it's like, uh, it's, it's very snotty in the way that you know, Wes Anderson's upper class sensibility is like, he's a rich guy yeah. and he knows it and he kind of likes it. And he thinks it's funny. I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, was there anything on the, uh, criterion Blu-ray, uh, that, that, uh, covered the, the puppets, like the making oh, yeah. of the puppets mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it's incredibly fascinating to watch them put it together, especially like when they had to make really tiny puppets, that was really hard. Cause like, you know, there's some shots of the puppets from like way far away and they have to like do it, you know, at the same, they have to use both big and small puppets to create a sense of like distance. Um, and those seemed really hard to make, but they also had to, they got to make some giant ones for some big close-ups, and it's really like the people puppets were the ones that were really impressive to me. Cause they look, there's an uncanny Valley there where they just look so real yet. You can tell they're fake. It's, pretty fun i'm surprised david lynch hasn't done like a stop motion thing um totally you know i mean i guess he did you know dumb land is this kind of like animated uh thing but Mm -hmm. um yeah i don't know it just seems like with the puppets and like designing these little sets and like the miniatures and um just all the creative control you have over it and how weird you can make things look i'm surprised that 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 lynch when hasn't done anything like this because it's almost like it's like more like creating a painting than like shooting a live action film is absolutely yeah i think i think david lynch would have a lot of fun doing something in this space uh but i i i do think that it might not be a medium for everyone like I wonder if Lynch has an issue or takes umbrage with like not being able to work closely with actors, you know, like that he, he's not actually like, he's not actually directing a performance as so much as he's directing sort of like animation, which is a different kind of directing. I don't know. I wonder, but it's, uh, I do agree with you that like, if we were to get like a, an awesome, David Lynch, Nightmare Before Christmas style, like in that same, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. that would be just all in black and white. It would be, it would be so great. 
Um, speaking of Nightmare Before Christmas, I think uh, I think it was on the Wikipedia. I was reading that um, a lot of the staff uh, had worked on Corpse Bride. Mm. A lot of the fantastic Mr. Fox uh, people. But That's yeah, cool. I asked you about the puppets because I was reading that um, one of the trivia in here is that uh, it took seven months to perfect the first Mr. Fox puppet. And altogether, there were 535 puppets made for the movie. Wow. That's awesome. And, uh, That's crazy. Yeah. yeah I, I wonder. They, they definitely, the crew making the puppets made it seem like it was, it was a lot of work. Like it was really challenging. But, you know, I, I, I love this because how much stop motion content gets made, period, right? Like none. So, it, like, when you see something like this, I'm sure this gave a lot of people work that they've probably been out of work for a long time. Maybe since, like, Corpse Bride, which might, might not have been too long before this, but I'm thinking, like, I know about this movie, and then the next stop-motion animation movie I know about is Isle of Dogs. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't even know, like, what other stop-motion stuff gets even gets made. And I think so. Yeah, I, we got to get... Yeah. We got to get some more Gumby. We got yes. we got to bring Gumby back. Yes. Gumby, Pokey, Nopey. The whole the whole gang, Nopey especially. Uh, let's see. So, what do you say we dive into the plot? Oh yeah, let's do it. Fantastic, Mister Fox. All right. While raiding Burke's squab farm, Mr. Fox triggers a fox trap, uh, caging himself along with his wife, Felicity. Felicity reveals to her husband that she is pregnant and pleads with him to find a safer job if they escape, and he agrees. (laughs) Yeah, how do you feel about the, um, the beginning of this with the... First, you hear the Davy Crockett song, <laughs> and then, then yes. it goes into the uh, Beach Boys "Heroes and Villains" song, which is, it's pretty Wes Anderson is right off the bat. I mean, that's the one thing I like about it is it it goes hard immediately. <laughs> yeah, it's really it's fun. It's a good time. I don't know why I was so like sour about this movie. I guess it was just the super high expectations, but yeah, it's fun. I don't know. It's kind of like. Uh, and it also re- really just sets up the tone nicely. Like, mm-hmm. it's funny. We get, you know, a little bit of the, you know. I mean, we, we basically get, like, the entire um, premise in the beginning here. Like, uh, he agrees, you know, he's got to, like, settle, settle down and start a family and agrees to stop, you know, doing crime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Two human years, or 12 fox years later, the foxes and their son, Ash, are living in a hole. Uh, Mr. Fox, now a newspaper columnist, uh, moves the family into a better home inside a tree, ignoring the warnings of his lawyer about how dangerous the area is for foxes due to its proximity to facilities run by three feared farmers. Bogus, a chicken farmer, uh, Bogus, uh, Bunce, a duck and goose farmer, and Bean, mm-hmm. turkey and apple farmer. I, I got to say, I absolutely am obsessed with the way they set up this film now that I think about it. Like, I actually think the middle has a slump and maybe the end could be better. But, like, I think the beginning of this is masterful. We're like, you know, you see that Fox is disillusioned. He, like, wa- he doesn't want to feel poor, which is you know inherently funny to hear someone say out loud i feel poor (laughs) uh yeah and then um you know he talks about how you know and this uh, keep in mind this this seems like it should be a kid's movie um i will say i don't think this is a kid's movie at all uh but it seems like it should be because it's stop motion animation but he talks about how you know he's he's as old as his father was when his father died i you know he doesn't want to live in a hole forever and so when he goes to buy the house, he talks to Bill Murray's character, who's this um, badger. And uh, like, he's like, tell me about those, those three farmers. Cause the whole reason he wants to move is to rob these farmers. That's like the whole reason mm-hmm. for doing it. And, and uh, badger, you can just tell he doesn't want to go through this whole monologue about Bogus Bunsen bean, but he goes, so you hear him go, do you really want me to tell you? He's like, yeah. He's like, ah. and then you can just hear him like winding up to like, 
like <laughs> deliver this insanely long monologue where at the very end he just goes I mean, long story short, I just wouldn't do it, Foxy. <laughs> and then there's the whole are you cussing at me scene, which I think is great. And you see them also being animals while they're being human-like. Like whenever they eat, they eat like crazy animals. And whenever they get mad at each other, they become like snarling wild animals. Um, but I also love how they set up Bogus Bunts and Bean. They, 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 they... they they set it up sort of not unlike Ocean's Eleven. I know that was sort of one of the trivia things you share at the beginning. That's sort of a joke, but like it isn't actually that dissimilar. Like it's it's very much like what is it like to plan a heist, but under these ridiculous circumstances. And I love uh, Alexander Desplat, who we didn't actually talk about as being the composer for the film. Mm-hmm. He, uh, you know, this is the first time Wes Anderson has uh, moved from uh, Mark Mothersbaugh to another composer, Alexander Desplat. And he he uses Alexander Desplat for the rest, like throughout the rest of his films, including French Dispatch is going to be all be scored by Alexander Desplat. And uh, yeah, Alexander Desplat like, writes this beautiful, haunting children's song that goes along with B- Bogus Bunsen Bean, where it's like, it's like it's like very uh it's very haunting and like it, it you totally believe the world that they're in like and um yeah last thing i'll say is um i think it's weird and something that we don't really consider a lot that this all takes place in england <laughs> like like everyone's british except for the animals right yeah i, I was wondering about that too yeah. why <laughs> why that decision was made but uh yeah alexander desplat uh in case you're wondering because uh, i wanted to look up what else he's done mm-hmm. uh, curious case of benjamin button mm-hmm. twilight new moon mm. uh harry potter and the deathly hollows parts one and two the king's speech uh argo these are some of the non the non-wes anderson movies yeah. he, he, he did uh he yeah. composed for uh little women yeah Secret i would Life s- of i would say if you want to like he is known for a sort of fantastical element that he brings to his score, a sort of a haunting sort of element. Like uh, this score I think is very haunting at times and we'll get to some of the moments, but yeah, like when the, when the rat dies, it's like very haunting. It's almost like Batman returns. It almost feels like Danny Elfman. Like, like a lot of a lot of choruses of people going like oh you know it's like very like big and yeah. swelling and dark um so yeah that's sort yes. of the tone that he's known for whereas i think mark mothersbaugh is really silly and light right and you could tell desplat is like maybe more like classic comes from more of a classical background or something yeah. like when you look at him he just like looks like a composer guy right whereas mark <laughs> mothersbaugh is what he's from devo he's from right devo yeah so he, a lot of his stuff yeah. is like 8-bit chiptune sort of lo-fi <laughs> <laughs> casio yeah. keyboard stuff yeah 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 um and it's funny that you mentioned the uh liking the sort of beginning of the film so much because i was reading um so wes anderson uh okay so this is from the wikipedia the story the novel covers would amount to the second act of the film anderson added new scenes to serve the film's beginning and end Mm, yeah Uh, the new seeds precedes mr fox's plan to steal from the three farmers and follow the farmers uh bulldozing of the hill beginning with the flooding of the tunnel so like all of this setup and stuff is pretty much all west yeah which it kind of makes sense um totally but yeah i i like that uh let's see here lost my spot uh soon after the foxes move in felicity's nephew christopherson silver fox uh comes to live with them uh, Ash finds this situation intolerable. Uh, his cousin is superior to him in almost everything, and everyone is charmed by Christopherson. <laughs> I'm a huge, fa- I, I'm a huge Schwartzman, uh, yeah. <laughs> huge fan of Schwartzman's uh, voiceover work in this. Yeah, he's great, and the way they set this up is really funny too. And just Fox's relentless uh, applauding of Christopherson, and just like tearing down his own son is so it's awful but it's also so funny that like you know whenever whenever anyone talks about ash they're always like like especially the owen wilson scene where you see him being the coach and he asks, mm-hmm. and he keeps being like do you think i'm as good as my dad and then he's like oh let's not compare yourself to your dad 
uh do you think i'm athletic you're getting better you know it's like that kind of thing where ash just really can't catch a break and it's just so it's really funny um let's see here longing for his days as a thief mr fox and his friend kylie uh in a possum steal produce and poultry from all three farms for the three straight nights uh angered the farmers decide to kill mr fox they camp out near his home and when mr fox emerges they open fire but only manage to shoot off his tail um so i think we're skipping over some stuff here but uh yeah yeah, kind of, you know, Mr. Fox uh, kind of wants to do one more little heist here and then just kind of gets sucked back into a life of crime. Yeah, and I really feel like, you know, I know this movie is starring George Clooney and that he is front and center and the movie is after, named after his character's namesake. But I do think he's doing most of the heavy lifting in this film. Like, he's his performance is kind of, you know, magnificent and he... And he's like, like the way he explains stuff to to Kylie before they do the the heist about biting the chickens' necks and one bite, and and uh, whenever yeah. a wolf gets brought up, he gets totally freaked out by the wolf, and <laughs> like you know, it's just he's just really on one in this movie. He's got a great energy, and uh, yeah, I think I think Fox is a really compelling character for being so simple and. I think you're right, Eric. It's got like a very simple premise and the story is very cut and dry. But, and you know, and in some ways I feel like I definitely don't want it to be more complicated. I guess I do. I would have liked some more emotional resonance from the story. But I, but I definitely admire that it is as simple as it is. You know, he's a wild animal. That the end, like, he, you know, he's trying to be buttoned up, but in, in his heart, he's a wild animal. And you see that in his performance, especially when they when they finally do steal all that shit and they're running back home and they're all screaming like howling <laughs> yeah. in the air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is Wes Anderson doing a Daniel Plainview. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is as, this is as dark as Wes Anderson can get with a, mm-hmm. with a character. To- yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay, so uh, after demolishing the site of the tree while attempting to dig Mr. Fox out, they discover the foxes have dug an escape tunnel as the foxes will have to survive. Uh, surface for food and water. The farmers wait at the tunnel mouth. Underground, Felicity is upset that Mr. Fox returned to his thieving ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, the group later encounters Badger and many other uh, local animal residents whose homes have also been destroyed by the farmers. As the animals begin uh, fearing starvation, Mr. Fox leads them on a digging expedition to tunnel uh, to the three farms, robbing them. Uh, while the others, uh, the other animals feast, Ash and Christofferson begin to reconcile after Christofferson defends Ash from a bully. Uh, the cousins return to Bean's farm, intending to reclaim the missing tail, but Christofferson gets captured i really uh, my second favorite performance in this outside of clooney's is michael gambon's as mr bean like uh he is truly to me a terrifying sort of villain and i just really love his performance and i love that he his obsession is with getting drunk (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like yeah like yeah. he is very smart and capable but he like loves getting super <laughs> up and like yeah and like chain smoking cigarettes i really relate to this guy he's like he's uh, he's got he's got cool written all over him from the beginning um whereas his compatriots are a little like you know they're like kind of jokes <laughs> like one's a big old guy one's a little guy but he's like this scary old man with this, he always has a luger, like a gun on him. <laughs> it's like, it's like pretty wild. And I just love his whole like uh, his temperament too. He's he's super calm, but then he'll get super ferocious, you know. Yeah. Um. I think my I think my favorite performance. Uh, I I don't know. I like Schwartzman. But Defoe might might take it for me. <laughs> yeah, I just dude, think he, it's just so funny. On the special features, you get to watch him actually performing that <laughs> role, and you see his like body moving as he's like doing that voice, and it's so funny. He's re- he gets really into it, and it's like 
It's so you do the great. snapping. Yeah, the snapping. And you also get to see Wes Anderson do the snapping for the for the art department so that they can see what it looks great. like. And it's so it's just so stupid. Like uh, <laughs> but I love Rat and I and we're about to get to it. Well when we get to his death, I, I have something to say, but uh, discovering that Mr. Fox has stolen their produce, the farmers and the fire chief flood the animals' tunnel network with some of Bean Cider, uh, <laughs> trapping the animals in the sewers. Uh, realizing that the farmers plan to use Christofferson to lure him into an ambush, Mr. Fox heads to the surface to surrender, but returns with Rat. Uh, but returns when Rat Bean's uh, security guard confronts the animals and attacks Ash and Felicity. Uh, a fight between Mr. Fox and Rat in, uh, results in the latter being pushed into a generator, uh, electrocuting him. Before dying, Rat reveals Christofferson's location. Mr. Fox asks the farmers for a meeting in town near the sewer hub where he would uh, surrender in exchange for Christofferson's freedom. Yeah, so what do you think of this whole rat um, rat situation? <laughs> <laughs> it's really fun. It's it's great. It's really funny. Yeah. Um, what do you think of his little yeah. knife? <laughs> that he. I love that Wes Anderson just really picks and chooses what things get to be little. You know, like, like yeah, like what in the logic of Mister Fox's <laughs> world? Like Mister Fox has a little radio. You know what I mean? Like he, they have little clothes, little radio. For all accounts, they have like little things just like all the humans do and i think that the switchblade is just so it's just such a crazy <laughs> thing for a rat because rats already have like teeth and claws you know like right this is a world that just like doesn't make sense no but is it doesn't like kind of close to reality in a way in that like i guess these animals exist like later on fox and, and bean have a conversation <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so it just it doesn't make sense, but I wanted to point out this this rat death as being uh-huh. like you know how all of Wes Anderson's movies in the third act will have just like an abrupt death scene <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. that just totally takes you way off guard. Like in Tenenbaums, I think it's the you know the worst example of like Luke Luke Wilson like trying to kill himself. And then in Life Aquatic, uh-huh. you have Owen Wilson's death. And in Darjeeling Limited, you have the death of that boy. In this, it's this rat's death. And I find this scene, there are two scenes that I find incredibly haunting in this movie. And this is the first one. And it's rat gets electrocuted. So it's an extremely violent way to die. And he gives up. He gives the location of Christopherson to Fox. And then Fox says... Why'd you do it, Rat? And Rat says, for the cider. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you think he's going to say literally anything else. Anything else, yeah. But really, what all he wants is cider. It's so bone-chilling. And then they just give him that sludge at the end. They're like, here you go, Rat. Liquid gold, he <laughs> says. And then they just float him down the sewer. It's like, yeah, it's, it's really chilling. And it's it's also funny, but it is like... It's presented like, I don't know, like like a moment in Edward Scissorhands or something, like this beautiful, dark, poetic moment that's ultimately very funny when you think about it. But it is like, it's a really chilling scene for me. And I, and I, and you know, I remember that being a highlight for me when I first saw the film and it, it paid itself off in this time I watched it too. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I love it. I love uh I love the uh uh the way it's done. Like it's one of those things that's something about this movie too, like with stop motion animation, uh where I'm just like I don't even know um sometimes when I'm watching something where I don't understand how it's been made, it's like hard for me to get into. Yeah. Um but there are certain moments like uh, like the way the electrocution is done when they're like Mr. Fox and the rat are fighting and we're kind of like, see, it's like flashing and we're seeing like the rat, the rat's little skeleton glow and stuff. Uh, it's great. But well, again, one of those things where I'm like, I can't, couldn't even begin to like think about how this would be executed from totally. like a production standpoint, but totally. it's cool. Uh, let's see here. 
The farmers, uh, where, where were we? Yes, the farmers prepare an ambush, but the animals anticipating it launch a counterattack that allows Mr. Fox, Ash, and Kylie uh, to enter Bean's farm undetected. Ash frees Christofferson and braves uh, enemy fire to release a rabid hunt dog to keep, keep the farmers at bay, allowing the group to escape. Uh, the animals soon settle into their new homes in the sewers, inviting uh, any other animal to join them. Uh, soon after, Fox raids a grocery store belonging to Bogus, uh, Bunce, and Bean, where Felicity reveals she's pregnant again as the animals dance in the aisle. And that's it. That's Beautiful. that's fantastic, Mr. Fox. I do want to bring up one uh, one mm-hmm. part that we didn't that they don't mention the Wikipedia, and I and I don't blame them for it because it really isn't part of the plot at all. It is just a nuance to the story that I feel like I feel like is sort of secretly what this film is all about, and I think that's Fox's relationship to the wolf. I think this wolf is like kind of the whole thing, man. It's like the whole it's the whole deal with Mr. Fox. Mr. Fox is afraid of the wolf, but he wants to become the wolf. He has a respect for the wolf, mm. but like he also kind of worships the wolf. And when they're driving away, and it's like Kylie, him, and I think Ash on the car, and maybe Christopherson too, they stop and they see a wolf on a hill. And it's like it, it I don't know why that scene makes me cry every time I watch it, but it's just something so infinitely relatable and understanding about that scene, yet they don't actually tell you what it is. Like they don't go out of their way to explain why why the wolf is important for I think all of us to universally understand why the wolf is important. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like that. I never thought I didn't really think too much too deeply into the wolf. I didn't really think too much too deeply into the meaning behind the film at all, but I, I like that a lot. Yeah, I think I think the wolf is like first of all it's animated beautifully and the fact that like they can't understand each other is really an interesting I don't know, it's an interesting nuance to that, but then you just see the uh like fox what is he just hold out his fist up to the wolf and then you see the wolf do the same thing. Yeah. And it's like yeah. it's like them saying like they get each other, <laughs> like they respect there's a res- mutual respect there. I like that. Yeah. And it's like it's just really cool. Um it's just a really cool scene. And like they could have over explained it like, hey Fox, why do you like that wolf so much? Well, you know, the wolf reminds me of of what I could be, you know, and uh, ultimately what I'm leaving behind by sacrificing for my you know what I mean? Like uh, but mm-hmm. really it's better to just leave it all unsaid, unspoken. Yeah. I like that. I, I had kind of forgotten about the I, I love there there are certain little things like just the way in action is animated mm-hmm. in this film that make me laugh almost more than some of the jokes and dialogue and stuff. And the way the wolf raises its fist mm-hmm. makes yeah. me laugh. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It's really cool. Yeah. yeah. It's uh yeah. it's a beautiful wolf. I love that they don't make him look majestic too much too. They he's like in a majestic situation, but he's kind of ratty and skinny. Like the wolf is he's a wild animal, you know? And yeah. uh it's, it's yeah, it's just a really cool part of that. And you can hear it in Fox's voice just how much he respects the wolf, you know, when he's like you know, good luck out there <laughs> or whatever. But you see you see him cry too. You see the fantastic Mr. Fox break down in tears when he sees the wolf. It's just a great it's just a great scene and it's and it and it it, it means a hell of a lot to me, um, independent of the rest of the film, you know? Like I kind of feel like the whole idea of the wolf kind of stands alone as its own sub game, so to speak, or subplot of like, you know, it is the visual representation of what the film's themes kind of all, all point to. But Eric, we got to give out some awards, don't we? Oh yeah, oh yeah. And by awards, we're talking Chucky Freckles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I love the idea of someone tuning into uh, one of our episodes and just being like, uh, you know. These guys are analyzing, uh, you know, my favorite movie, Barry Lyndon, uh-huh. and then all of a sudden, <laughs> the the podcast uh, climaxes during um, uh, a moment when they give the rate the film out of Chucky freckles <laughs> for some reason. It all leads to that. Yeah, 
Uh, so Jeremy, uh, yeah, I was definitely, uh, I was going in to watch this movie again. I was, I wasn't not excited, but I was kind of like, oh, I remember, you know, my hopes were so high for this one and I didn't, I didn't like it that much. And I also kind of didn't really like Isle of Dogs too much. Um, so my expectations were low. I had forgotten a lot about Fantastic Mr. Fox and, um, I think I've sort of, you know, watching Darjeeling again and um, a film that we'll be getting to soon, Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, I've kind of, I don't know, something changed in my brain, my perception of Wes Anderson where I'm like, maybe it's, maybe it is because I'm a little older now too, where I'm like, I kind of, I, I think I appreciate what he's doing a little bit more. And I love that he's like, we were talking before before we went into the plot, we were talking about how Wes Anderson basically is a character in one of his own movies. Mm -hmm. And I think that's cool. I think that's cool uh, uh, that he just, he just, you kind of, you know what you're getting with him, but you also don't know what you're getting at all because he kind of does these crazy things. Like, it was weird when I found out that he was, his next movie was going to be this like stop motion you know, animated film about animals. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you watch it, you're like, damn, I don't think anyone else could have really done this other than Wes Anderson. I think that's cool. So I think, uh, while this isn't my favorite Wes Anderson film, I do think it's worthy of a 3.25 Chucky Freckles. Oh, wow. I love that. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I completely agree with everything that you were saying. I think that it's, uh, you know, these animated features by Wes Anderson are not my favorites of his, and they're still not, at least as far as I can tell. You know, I, I haven't rewatched Isle of Dogs yet, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, this is definitely, it's not up there for me as much as like Darjeeling or Life Aquatic, uh, but it is definitely, you know, it is definitely a film that I think I'm glad to own and that I, I can, I, I can pull more out of it. I'm realizing than I gave it credit for originally. And, uh, there's a lot more going on in, in Mr. Fox than I think, uh, again, like I said, like I, I considered when I had first seen it. Uh, and part of that is just like the, the very fun journey I'm having of watch rewatching a lot of films in my thirties. It's just, I get to, I yeah. get to see and I, and things mean more to me than they did back when I was, uh, you know, however old I was in 2009, I think I was like 22. Like that's like <laughs> that is uh so young, you know. Um anyway, so I'm gonna give Fantastic Mr. Foss a three. Uh that is right. that is my my fine score. My score, uh, because I gave Life Aquatic a three point two five and Darjeeling a three point two five, and I like it exactly point two five less than those films. So it's 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 tied right now with Heart Eight. And um, yeah, I think that's I think that's I think that's fair. I like these films about yeah. the same. More, I like it two point two five less than Mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Uh, Jeremy, you want to guess uh, how old Wes Anderson was when uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox came out? How old? I want to guess. Okay, I'm gonna say thirty. Jeremy, you're off by 10 years. He was 40 years old. Wow. That actually, I kind of like that. That that makes me, sometimes I will f- I will find out that like someone created something that I like when they were like 22 or something. Mm-hmm. And I just feel really bad about myself <laughs> as like an artist. Yeah. Um, like uh, I remember, I remember uh, one time I kind of did the math and figured out I th- I was in my like early twenties, and I was like, "Oh, I'm 22." So by this point, uh, Neil Young had done you know three albums with Buffalo Springfield <laughs> and like two album two is two best solo albums, and I've done nothing. Yes. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Jeremy, I, I think that um, I'm actually finding the older I get that I um. When I find out a director was super young when they made a piece of art, I, I somehow don't trust that art as much. Mm. I don't know if that ever happens to you where you're like, oh, they made that when they were 18. Now suddenly I'm watching the movie from a different lens. I'm like watching 
you know, I'm like, uh, I'm like, oh, okay. Well, they, they, they were clearly talking out of their depth there. Or they didn't really know what they were talking about there. You know what right. I mean? Like, suddenly, I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, that's why this film has these certain amount of problems with. It. I, anyways, just finding out that, I, I, like, for example, I think Paul uh, PTA was mm-hmm. very young when he made, um, definitely when he made Hard Eight, but also when he made Boogie Nights. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson is like okay. Let's figure this out now because this is gonna make us upset. Because he started the boogie night, the Dirk Diggler story thing that he did was like in high school, basically when he did that, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Okay, yeah. so Paul Thomas Anderson is fifty years old this year. So that means that when Boogie Nights came out, he was. He's- I will tell you right now. Early twenties or something. He was twenty-seven. Wow. He was twenty-seven when Boogie Nights came out in the theaters, which means he, which means four years prior to that, Heart Eight comes out. He'd already made a feature film that had been released, and this was his second feature film that was nominated for Best Picture, and he's not even thirty yet. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. That that to me is so irritating because it's like wow, like and and. Boogie Nights is the kind of film that's like, that's a film that you would assume was made by like someone who'd lived a life, you know? Right. right. Um, yeah. Uh, to give you some uh, reference, Paul Thomas Anderson is one year younger than Wes Anderson. Pretty crazy. You know, I read an interesting, because uh, we're talking, we're doing The Master next week. Yes, which The Master. Is, um, Really excited to revisit that movie. Uh, Streaming on Netflix. Probably... Streaming on Netflix. Nice. Um, it's probably my second favorite PTA. Uh, you know, we'll see how it, where it stands after this rewatch. But something that I'm going to go into rewatching that movie with is I was kind of reading like just some like Reddit analysis of mm-hmm. the master, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I saw a good post comparing it to essentially the master and boogie nights are um kind of the same story like there's a lot of parallels there between uh oh weird uh what's his name uh uh, joaquin phoenix uh freddie quell and and dirk diggler and and you know them sort of uh getting um shepherded by this like power hungry you know crazy crazy guy yeah, i don't know it, it was yeah. it was a very well-written reddit reddit post that i'd love uh, to read that because that yeah. doesn't yeah i would have never put these films together like that yeah i mean aesthetically and the things that they're about are very different but uh, i i can kind of see it but jeremy we'll be doing the master next uh lord knows what paul ws anderson has in store for <laughs> us in two weeks yeah. uh who knows maybe another um resident evil film uh, whatever it is. Oh, I know. I think it's Death Race. I think I looked it up. It's like a Jason Statham car r- car movie. There so you go. Yeah, Death Race. That'd be a good time. Yeah, that should that should hopefully be okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Whatever. Uh, Jeremy, anything you want to plug before we sign off? No, you can follow me on Twitter at Ocarina of Crime and check out that Patreon. We got a riveting episode already out this week, which is of course oh, yeah. us talking about the beautiful films that we'll be releasing in 2021 and our thoughts about those uh, films. Uh, Norma, I'll see you in my dreams. Mm-hmm.